Thank you, band. Good morning. Happy Independence Day weekend. My name is Carl Schultz. I serve as associate pastor here. Our senior pastor, Travis, and his wife, uh, Sarah, are on vacation somewhere in the Alps. Uh, I thought it was very interesting. Don't mind me, Andrew. Um, (laughs) I found it very interesting that about a year and a half ago, Travis made this big thing about the fact that he loathed the sound of music so much. And yet the first European vacation they go on, where do they go? The Austrian Alps. And this is their 16th wedding anniversary. So they are 16 going on 17. (laughs) People, wake up. This can't be any clearer. Travis is a George Von Von Trapp wannabe. It's clear. But we certainly welcome you here. If this is your first Sunday here, we, we are so pleased to have you here. We are going this summer through, as Dawn mentioned, the series on the Ten Commandments. We entitle this The Good Life. We at MCC believe that the Ten Commandments is still relevant for the 21st century Christian. We talked about a couple weeks ago that there's three laws, the civil, the ceremony, and the moral, and only the moral still remains applicable for us. But one of the things that we see is no matter whether you've grown up in the church or whether you're new here today, we all have been exposed to some degree to the Ten Commandments. And anything that we get exposed to so much, we run the risk of becoming too familiar with it. We run the risk of allowing the culture to help us interpret what it means. And so our hope is through this study that we have a renewed view of the importance of the Ten Commandments and how God calls us to follow him. But even though this is the moral law, we have an understanding that grace always comes before the law. For we see in the preamble to uh, the Ten Commandments that God starts off by saying, I brought you out of Egypt and I provided for you every step of the way. And so we have an understanding that that is the way that God handles grace and law. He always provides grace and then gives us instructions. So we talked about a couple weeks ago that it's the indicative before the imperative, the who before the what, the I am before the you shall. And so this morning we want to take a look at these. Uh, We've been making a commitment to try to memorize these. I don't know how well you've been doing with the first two. Uh, But I just want to encourage you that the children in uh, children's ministries are going to be doing it during the months of July and August. So you parents have an opportunity to learn together. And it's a great opportunity to share around the dinner table or some other time that you have devotions. So let's see how good you are. First commandment. You shall. Me. That's correct. You shall have no other gods before me. And the second is, a little bit longer, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or a likeness of anything <laughs> that is in the heaven above or is that in the earth beneath or in the water that is under the earth. Very good. <laughs> 
In a few minutes, we'll be able to make that connection to what it means to have empty words. But our third commandment is found on uh, page 60 of the Pew Bible. It's uh, chapter 20, 61, 61, sorry, Michael. It's 61. Uh, It's chapter 20, verse 7. We're going to look at that, but before we do that, let's just take a moment to uh, pray to the Lord for guidance. Father God, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the fact that you provide us with grace first before you give us your instructions. And Father, it is so comforting to know that not only do you give us grace, but you also give us the power to live for you. And so I pray that as we go through this study that we would understand again a better view of who you are, the great I am, and how you continually deliver us from everything that we face. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So here we go. Third commandment, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So what does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? seems a little bit weird how we started off with emphasis on worship and now God suddenly says something about his name. You know, was it that he was distracted that, you know, as he was dictating to Moses, he suddenly thought and said, hey, while I'm thinking about it, you know those Israelites, every time they drop a brick on their foot, they've been yelling out my name. It was okay when it was Pharaoh, but when it's my name, they can't do that anymore. You know, perhaps Miriam and Aaron had this issue with always yelling expletives whenever something happened. That could possibly be it. But one of the things that we have a tendency to do when we look at the Ten Commandments is we try to create the narrowest definition or the narrowest scope possible because we want to be able to say, got that one done, I don't have to worry about that. I don't use the, word, the Lord's name in vain. But one of the things that we're going to understand through this study is that most of the commandments are broader than what we originally thought. And we begin to see how they do reflect our own sinfulness. As Travis mentioned, there's three uses of the law. There's the shackles, which again restrain us from sin. There's the magnifying glass, which highlights God's character. And there's the uh, mirror, if you will, that that again reflects uh, our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. And as I was preparing this week for the third commandment, I found the mirror image to be perhaps the most helpful. The mirror we're going to look at is three different reflections over the course uh, of this study. The first one is God's name reflects his character. Whenever you see in the Old Testament the name of the Lord or in the New Testament the name of Jesus, it is not simply just a label or identifier, but it means so much more. It represents their whole character. There's an English term that we we use uh, in grammar. It's called uh, synectochy. And it's when we have a part of something that is used to represent the whole. Seems a little bit complex, but we have a lot of simple examples that we see in everyday life. 
For example, you may hear that the Pentagon or the White House has issued a statement today. Now, we understand that it's not the physical structure, the five-sided building or where the Oval Office is that has represented this position. But it is everyone in that building. It represents the whole of who the White House and the Pentagon is. Thirty-some years ago, 33 years ago, when I asked Jean's hand in marriage, I was looking for more than her hand. And I think she understood that. And in the old movies, when you see the, the policeman running down the road, chasing the, the, the burglar or whatever, yelling, stop in the name of the law, the law at that point was not just this magical word that would suddenly bring that thief into a state of frozenness. But what it did was, it was what basis I'm asking you to stop. And so that's what we see when we talk about the name of God. It does not represent his title or his name only, but it represents his entire character. We see also that through God calling himself the I Am, he is indicating that there is no one greater than he. He is naming himself. For we know that when there is someone who names another, there is authority given to that person. And so we have this understanding that God is saying through the fact that I have revealed to you my name, that I am sovereign, that there is no one greater, that there is no one above me, there will be nobody after me. But it's so easy to look at this by saying that as long as I don't tell God who to damn, and as long as I don't yell the name of his son, when I'm angry, then I'm free. I'm not taking the Lord's name in vain. But it is one use of it. And we can certainly lament to the fact that the use of the Lord's name in vain in that context is, is increasing in popularity. We're seeing it more and more on radio stations, TV stations, and the movies. And it's very hard for us as Christians to feel comfortable always hearing that. Even, in fact, the Oxford Concise Dictionary from 1995 has an entry for Jesus. The first definition, an exclamation of surprise, dismay, etc. Second definition, name of the founder of the Christian religion. You can begin to see how the position of where that use is become more common as an expletive than one of a holy God whom we should be reverent to. And that's the problem we have, is we, we struggle with understanding the importance of God's name. And we can again say that, oh, it's terrible when the unbeliever takes the Lord's name in vain. But I can assure you that as much as that does damage... It's much more damaging when we as Christians fail to honor the Lord's name in the way that we act and live. When the words that we profess are in contrast to the faith we possess against the name of the Lord, we transgress. When the words that we profess are in contrast to the faith we possess against the name of the Lord, 
we transgress. Let's look at the second way. Second one is our casual use reflects our sinfulness. So we have to also understand that each of these commandments was in response to a behavior that the Lord was wanting to protect his people against. So we, we know that it wasn't that the pagans were using their God's name as an expletive. But what we do see in that culture was all the pagan worshipers would appeal to their God as an authority to affirm what they just said. So if you say it's going to rain, it's going to rain for 40 days by ball. And so what they were doing was they were taking the name of their God, applying it to their own words in order to give them strength and credibility. And God knew that they were going to be exposed to many pagan cultures, so he said, no, you're not going to do that with my name. You are not going to take your own words and attach my name to give them instant authority or credibility. And so what God says is, you will not misrepresent me by taking my name. And we see this all along, right? All through history. We can think of all these horrible atrocities that were done in the name of the Lord. We can look at the Crusades. We can look at slavery in the 1800s. We can look at the Catholic priest abuse. We can look at the prosperity gospel that's being promoted. We can look at the killing of abortion doctors. Each one of these, a human or humans, took their position, attached God's name on it, in order to be given credibility and strength. But we don't attach God's name to something God has nothing to do with. How many times have someone come to you and said, God told me, this for your life. Or God gave me a verse that's for you. That again is not likely to be the case where God is speaking through that individual, but the person is wanting their counsel to be seen at a greater height because of the fact that they attach God to it. And the people that are most vulnerable to this, that are most guilty our pastors and teachers, elders, spiritual leaders. Because it's very easy for us to fall back and say, well, you know, God told me. But this is one of the ways that we can so misuse and casually abuse God's name. Many of you work for corporations. Many of you work for schools, universities. And so you have an appreciation of the code of conduct and, and the restrictions they put on the use of email or the use of their identity. They're doing everything they can to protect it. That none of your actions are actually dragging the institution through the mud. Or that you're not taking advantage of the connection and misusing that identity. You can, you can see that in your everyday life. But somehow it's harder for us to make that connection when we're talking about the living God. 
we tend to be a little bit too casual. I have an uncle. His name is actually Sam. So he's an Uncle Sam. (laughs) And when I was young, probably seven, eight years, we were down visiting with him, and we were on the way to the lake, and he was towing uh, his boat behind him. And the car hit a pothole, and the trailer kind of hit it as well, and, and the boat shifted. And I can remember him quickly pulling over to the side of the road, opening up the door and saying, God bless America. (laughs) And my cousin, who was probably my age or a little bit older, jumped out of the other side of the car and repeated his words, God bless America. But it's funny because at that time, my uncle was most concerned about not saying the word damn. He had no problem saying the word God. But that's just the opposite of what this commandment is talking about. It's looking at the way that we throw the word God or Lord or Jesus around without attaching reverence and honor and significance to it. We see it all the time with OMG, oh my God. Most people would say, well, I don't mean it that way. But the world obviously doesn't know what you mean when you say OMG. You know, we say, good Lord. We say, God knows. God forbid. These are all just casual ways that God has come into our speech. And not in a way that necessarily honors or brings him glory. I'm sure there are different ways that you respond when you hear a coworker or, or a neighbor take the Lord's name in vain. Maybe you have a cute response that you think is helpful in trying to turn the light in a soft way on that person. But I often wonder whether we're the guilty ones. Because in our own lives, we show nothing of a reverence for God's name that anyone who does not know him would have reason to believe otherwise. So it is with our misuse, it is our casual use, that is one of the greatest problems with this. It's hypocrisy. The greatest danger to the Christian church is not from outside, but from within. The hypocrisy of us and the poor witness that we bring. You see, taking the name of the Lord in vain, when we call ourselves Christians, we bear his name. We are his representatives. So as the world sees us, the world sees Christ and the Almighty God. When we make the mistake of lifting up our name, instead of lifting up the name of God, that is taking the Lord's name in vain. I don't know whether you recognize this. I don't know whether it was more offensive that this was done to the parking lot, not lifting up God's name, but lifting up an individual's name. 
It was even sadder the fact that most people said, Dave who? But this is just a, a comic example of the fact that everything we do in our life should be pointing to God's glory, not our individual credit. We should be lifting up God's name, not our own personal name. Alexander McLaren, the Scottish pastor, said this, The most vain of all words are those of Christians who once expressed deep convictions, but now having let their faith shrink, they are now mere empty words. And of course, the most sombering reminder comes from Jesus' own words in Matthew seven twenty-one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. There is an understanding with God that just simply because we use his name does not mean that he will acknowledge who we are, that he will welcome us uh, into eternity. When the words we profess are in contrast to the faith we possess, then against God's name we transgress. Let's shift to the third and final one. Proper use reflects what God has done for us. As Don mentioned, when we were going through the Westminster Shorter Catechism, each of these commandments has a negative and a positive. So the negative is, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. The positive is, honor the Lord's name in everything you do. And it's easy for us to kind of lose sight of where it's appropriate and where it isn't. Well, let me give you one idea that you might want to consider as you're uh, working through this in your own lives and in your family's lives. What if every time you knew, used the name of God, the name of the Lord, or Jesus, it was in either a prayer or in a worship setting? What if you intentionally tried to look at those areas of your life that you have gotten comfortable just casually using God's name as any other name? But now you began to look at it and saying, if I'm going to use God's name, I'm going to make sure it's in a reverent way. I'm going to make sure that it is in a way that is pleasing to him. We see this through the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught the disciples. He begins the prayer with, Hallowed be thy name. There's this understanding that God is set apart, that he is holy, that he is to be worthy of praise. And so that when we enter in and use his name, that there should be this sense of reverence and honor that is reflective of our actions and our words. And then we see when we, we close many of our prayers, we say in Jesus' name. Perhaps 
for some of you, it's just simply the same as sincerely yours. You think it's like the salutation at the end of the, of the request. Or it's the magical abracadabra formula that enables whatever you ask in that prayer to suddenly be given God's seal of approval. There are so many different ways that we have gotten so casual with the use of our language regarding our Lord and Savior that it's hard for us sometimes to see it in our own lives. We understand through that worship, the worship experience, that we come here and we spend time singing praises, that we are doing it with a sincere heart, that we are not simply going through the motions, that the that attitudes and the actions of our heart reflect the words that we are singing. Because that's what we're called to do, to bring honor and glory to God through our worship. If we are simply going through the motions, then we are taking the Lord's name in vain. But again, this is not God bringing judgment down on his people. But this is God offering his grace. Saying, I know there's no way that you can adhere to the whole moral law. But I'm going to give you my power. I'm going to give you my strength. I'm going to be giving you my grace as you work through this. Brothers and sisters, I would encourage you as we approach the communion table, that this is an opportunity where you can reflect on your use or misuse of God's name. You can look even in your attitude toward worship and to the Lord's Supper. And spend time again just praying to the Lord as it reflects your heart. The reason why as Christians... We need to be so protective of God's name because it is in His name that we receive forgiveness and salvation. From Acts 4.12 And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Don. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame.